Hi, this is Russ. We're ready to start with session number 19 for Satanism 101. Now, this is a session that deals with uh, the other side, part of the mission and ministry of Jesus. When you think in terms of uh, thousands of thousands of uh, Satanists involved with the Church of Satan, uh, the popular side, and then uh, and even the elite side with the Temple of Set and uh, the thousands upon thousands that would be involved with Aleister Crowley, the hundreds of thousands overall. We see a growing segment of this, and we've tried to share that through the materials, and uh, other researchers and books have done that. question is, can a Satanist who has renounced God, renounced Christ, renounced the church, has, have done blood rituals to mock uh, Christ, Christianity, the church, question is, can they, can they get out? The other um, question, and this came up when I was at Malone College years ago. Can or does God love the Satanist? And I've had a number of Satanists that didn't know if they, even victims of Satanism, of Satanic ritual abuse, have wondered whether God loved them. And if God loved them, where has God been when they went through all their uh, abuse? Can God love someone like a Satanist? Now, I want us to think back in the Apostle Paul's life prior to be, before he became the great soul winner, the great missionary, the great... Listen, here he is writing, being used of God to write the majority of the New Testament. Now, he didn't do baby sacrifice, but he did attack the church. He did drag off Christians to have them put in jail and confiscate their property. He was there when Stephen was martyred as the first martyr. So... I think that as we look at this, you may encounter Satanists who think they've gone over the bo- you know they've gone overboard, that they they can't return, that they've done things so wrong and so hideous. So, I want to look at that, and I want to look at getting in and getting out because we even have kids today, and we that's where a lot of this started for us in in the year mid eighties. Young people that were, you know, beginning to buy the uh, Satanic Bible, uh, the ABCs of witchcraft, other books, and friends maybe gave it to them, adults maybe gave it to them, and they began to um, practice some of these rituals, and they would cut up some, you know, animals and do sacrifices the best they knew how. Stories again abound in Satanic crime, with Sean Sellers, Richard Ramirez, Tommy Sullivan, and many others that eventually were moved to um, kind of, again, psycho-Satanist crimes and murder and, and mayhem. So the question would be, again, the love of God and taking that view. Now, I'm going to say that I know some people that don't want to witness or don't want to try to reach out, not only to Satanists, but, um, I mean, just, you know, hardcore individuals. Now, when we talk about this, if you went over the Satanism and music session already, You've already seen, if you've looked at some of the video, if you did go to like to Borders, one of the bookstores, or even online, look up Pit Magazine, that is kind of an advertisement for all of the major, major kinds of satanic bands, all of their artwork and all of their lyrics. I mean, they are so anti-Christ. They seem to blaspheme Jesus. And it's clear you can blaspheme the Father, blaspheme the Son. You can speak words against the Father and Son. But if you blaspheme the Spirit of God, if you resist His work and attribute to the Spirit of God, 
works of the devil or just simply blaspheme and speaking mockingly, it's very clear that you could go so far as to be completely cut off from salvation. That, and we can't get saved without the work of the Holy Spirit. And if somebody so resists the Holy Spirit and then mocks and goes as far as blasphemy to where the Spirit of God would not work on their life any longer, well, they have no, no possibility of salvation. And the proof in the pudding is individuals in the New Testament that were blaspheming the Spirit didn't want to repent. They didn't come back later mourning. They were hardcore, hardened, and you and I need to be prepared that there are going to be individuals, not only right now, but in the future specifically, that are absolutely anti-Christ. You've got to realize that today there are individuals that are hardcore against Christ, even atheists that are just not quiet atheists, they're angry atheists. And there are those in what is called now the blasphemy movement on YouTube, where they're literally getting young people and many others to come online and do a YouTube video to, you know, to say they are blaspheming God. And though it may not be the exact same thing, because it has to be something to where the Spirit of God is literally confronting them and showing the mercy and the grace of God, maybe even in the level of signs and wonders, to where they would then blaspheme and speak against um, that's a, a realm that I would really have to leave with the Lord. And what I've seen biblically and in life experience is that when somebody goes that far, I, I, you just don't see them repent, show remorse. They are hardened, kind of like Pharaoh, who first hardened his heart, then God just continued to work to where uh, he was uh, you know, literally getting harder and harder and harder and, and just... God used that wickedness and hardness uh, to demonstrate His power and rescue for His people. Well, when you're out sharing Jesus and ministering, when you're out, whether it's with, uh, again, those who are into Satanism on the popular level, the underground level, I mean serious level, individuals you might meet, maybe a young person that's in a family that's brought to your church, but the kid won't come and they want you to minister. I mean, we've had uh, parents bring to us young kids involved in Satanism. We've had others take us to Satanists to talk to them. We've engaged them online. We've engaged them in emails. We've engaged them in a number of ways. And a lot of the uh, Satanic ritually abused individuals, as we would go after tracking their perpetrators who are dyed-in-the-wool old-time Satanists, uh, the the real Luciferians, uh, they also are very, very hardcore, hardened in their heart. And so it's possible. So when you read, the bottom line still comes down to 2 Thessalonians 2, chapter 2, where it says they perish because they refuse to love the truth. And the word refuse is very, very strong. They boldly, deeply, completely refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Could have been, but they refused. Then it talks about how God would give them a, you know, a delusion. There would be a work of God to push those who have already chosen and sealed their fate. God would literally push over the line and kind of uh, seal them in and um, demonstrate a level of judgment. 
almost like that spirit of stupor where with eyes they cannot see and ears they cannot hear. And it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, um, so that, and the reason for that is so that all those um, who rejected the truth and delighted in wickedness would be condemned. Now please realize as that when we're lost, we are condemned. We're lost, our sin. Uh, the wages of sin is death. Um, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're already in the lost state until we get saved. But there are those who are lost that then begin to choose. They even have the work of the Spirit. We can read about it in Hebrews 10. You can read about how they can insult the Spirit of grace and trample the blood of the covenant. And so there is that possibility of going so far, even Romans chapter 1, verse 18 on down, the idea of God handing them over, going so far in their perversity and wickedness that they are literally released They've sealed their choice, and uh, ultimately, um, you know, God, God, God releases them, and uh, there is no more activity. Now, in those cases, I have to leave it to the Lord because I don't know where the line is. I look at Saul of Tarshish in Acts chapter. You know, when you read Acts chapter six, seven, and eight, and nine. And you see this uh, martyrdom of Stephen. You see Saul of Tarshish breathing out murderous threats. Part of a, of a fanatical cult version of Judaism, Pharisees. They were not uh, true believers in the Old Testament in the right way. Uh, they had formed out of biblical uh, scripture their own version of righteousness and really developed a cult. And with a very, very strong and very, very intense um, manner, Saul of Tarshish persecuted the early church. And was there when Stephen was killed and was breathing out murderous threats. I mean, he was doing damage to the church, so much so that probably in answer to prayer, guess what happens on the way? Jesus, I mean, he's an invasion spiritually occurs. And the Lord Jesus appears. The other men that were with him didn't see. They heard a sound, but they didn't see anything. And Saul of Tarsus sees the light. He goes, he's literally blinded. And he's... Uh, you see by his attitude, he cries out and acknowledges, Who are you, Lord? He acknowledges, and he's not sure. And the response is, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, it's interesting to me that Jesus, and I believe this with all my heart, even when it comes to Satanists and perpetrators like that, that really are anti-Christ, Jesus takes, you know, um, he, he, he really does take, uh, you know, attention to that. And in Saul of Tarsus's case, he invades, he comes. There was no guarantee of salvation, but that's how it turned out. Saul of Tarsus yielded, called him Lord, surrendered to him, obviously saved. A little while later, filled with the Holy Spirit and then released to do the will of God. And he did suffer himself many times over. So we see the grace of God in his case. So I want you to realize that unless, unless God has really cut somebody off, and I have to leave that to the Lord, I have to assume uh, three things. And that's on your notes for session 19. Does God love Satanists and getting, out, uh, getting in and getting out? 
And I want to mention three things that really pervade uh, my heart. As Paul says it in the book of Corinthians, that uh, the love of Christ compels him. I mean, he's mo- even when he gets beat up outside of Lystra and left you know, in the dust, he eventually gets back up, you know, brushes himself off, and goes back at it, preaching Christ. He gets put in jail, gets out, goes right back at it, preaches Christ, and gets chased out of town. All kinds of things happen as he's preaching Jesus. And um, not that they were direct Satanists, but realize that those who are of, um, again, it could be, quote, religion. If it's religion initiated by dark spirits, the evidence will be a a really strong sense of of an anti-Christ disposition. A anti-Christ, anti um biblical you know i mean you say well the muslims for example well they say they accept jesus as the teacher and the, the bible and whatever generally no 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 no. that's not the truth even the quran uh they're very clear the only jesus they accept is they reduced um you know changed jesus uh down to a little teacher uh that is that was less than muhammad himself they do not accept the real christ they do not say, hey, we believe that you Christians are all right and you believe the real Christ and you have a real Bible and the Bible's true. They would declare, and their Quran would declare that, that the Bible's wrong and that it's all messed up, the disciples changed it, et cetera, et cetera. Even though their literature came hundreds of years later, made uh, and written down by one individual who was a murderer and who have murdered and, um, and obviously... Uh, you know, in his view of uh, sexuality with women, many women, including a nine-year-old. So when you look at that and you see a hardcore, when it really comes down to it, a hardcore disposition against Christ, that is, uh, that is where you find, uh, you know, the satanic presence power, where, where it's manifest in religion. It could be clearly manifest in, well, it's definitely manifest in uh, the New Age movement where, there's an acceptance of a demonic promotion of a, a dumbed-down Jesus, a Jesus that is not the Christ of Scripture. And the demons will promote a secondary non-God Christ, a non-living Christ, a kind of pocket-sized trophy Jesus, But the Word of God says in Galatians that if anybody, even an angel, would come and preach a different gospel, a different Jesus, anathema, there's an eternal, I mean, it's very strong in Scripture. So here's where the battle lies. And we must realize that the kingdom of darkness, even when you read satanic literature, even from the church of Satan, you're going to find them very antagonistic and bold. You're going to find rock groups that are satanically oriented that way. You're going to find numerous individuals that way, but you're also going to find groups like um, the Blasphemy, you know, Challenge.com group and New Atheists and stuff like that. They're going to be that way too. Bottom line is, where do we stand? On the page that you have for your notes, if you take a look at page uh, 36, three things. Number one, uh, the, you know, God's love is greater. John 3.16 still is the overarching word of God. It is, for God so loved the world, the sum total of humanity, that he gave his one and only, the only begotten, the Son of God, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And then the next verse goes on to say, for God did not send him into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. 
So Jesus is not here, and we are not here to condemn the world. We're not here to say, you know, to to people um, that have, uh, you know, that are perversely involved in, in perverse morality and other things. I mean, they can be again some of the most filthy and unclean, and maybe some of them are like some of us. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It doesn't deal with how much sin you've gotten into. So God loves the world in that while we were yet, you know, when we were powerless, Christ died for sinners. And Christ died not to condemn the world. So it's not a matter of going out and condemning anybody. It's a matter of overarchingly preaching the love of God in Christ, the grace of God in Christ. Now, is it wrong what they do? Yes. Is it wrong what many people do? Yes. All sin is wrong. And we need to realize as we've led some young Satanists and others to Christ and even seen some that were really um, boggled by the fact that we would love them, forgive them, and not turn into angry, bitter people like many of them are in response back to them. Many of them that have become Satanists, as we said already, are those who are angry. I mean, an angry heart is a fertile ground for a foothold for the enemy anyway. So let's remember that the love of God is bigger, broader, greater. God's love is greater than man's sin. God so loved the world in that while we were yet sinners, Romans 5. In that while we were still sinners. And we were, um, you know, it says in, in the book of Corinthians, it talks about even people in the body of Christ. I mean, we have people that, are, that have been uh, adulterers and homosexuals and thieves and, and even murderers you know, in prison, can actually repent and turn to Jesus. On the cross where the Roman soldier, you know, jammed him. I mean, who, who was killing Jesus? He died. Literally, we put him there. So there is no sin and no sinner that's outside of the scope of this incredible, amazing love of God. So John three sixteen and three seventeen applies to the world. That includes all of the Satanists and Druids and all the other folks. And that includes tribes where they did do babies. I mean, there's tribes in the world today. Think about the early church when they went and dealt with the Nicolaitans and the blood cults and ultimately, you know, groups from around the world that clearly were involved in human sacrifice and other things led by the demons. And again, because of sin and Satan, that's where we're, you know, that's where humanity, you know, devolves to but here again comes the love of god the message of god the great uh, power of god that's why paul would say in the face of all of rome and all of its blood cults bacchus and all the things there i'm not ashamed of the gospel it is the power of god unto salvation for everyone who believes so the body of christ is made up of people from all kinds of strange dangerous cultic groups, religions, more, more, you know, deviant morality, all kinds of things. But washed by the blood of Jesus, loved by God in Christ. And it's the love of God that propels us to go to everybody, the highways and the byways. And so that's part of what we do at Shatter and part of the mission, kind of a cross-cultural missionary. And that's what why we're going to engage the kings of the earth and we're going to engage those who would be uh, most... Most, they, they would be on the high targets of the satanic sequence uh, for the end days and go after them and uh, and share what? The love of God. And now we can bring the warning, but it's not just 
getting up and condemning people. Jesus didn't come to condemn. He came to save. And so that's, that's our approach. God comes to save. No matter what they say, God comes to save. No matter how much they cut you out, God comes to save. No matter how much they spit on you, God comes to save. He comes to save. No matter how many blood rituals they do against you, no matter how many spells they throw against you, God comes to save. The love of God is so big, so broad. Matter of fact, Romans chapter 12, towards the end, what does it say? Don't be overcome by evil. Don't, don't fight evil with evil. But instead what? Overcome evil with good. That's God's answer. What happened to the cross was good. Jesus went around doing what is good. He didn't retaliate. Look at Peter where in the book of Peter 3 where it talks about you know, how they did things to him and he didn't retaliate. And the Spirit of God and of glory would rest on us even when there's antagonistic mocking. And I've seen it experientially. Mocking individuals. And I have just seen the Spirit of, of God and of glory present to deal with them and the power of God. And that's why there have been some Satanists, hardcores, that have gotten saved. So the love of God is greater. Secondly, the grace of God is bigger. You might think the sins of some people. What about the Mayans? What about you know tribes in lower Africa where you know they've still done things that are just um, unbelievable? What about, again, people in the United States where they've done crimes and you know really sadistic things? Well, we read in Romans chapter 6, it says this, Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. In other words, grace is bigger. No matter how big the sin, no matter how gross the sin, no matter how unclean the sin, no matter how dark the sin, grace is bigger. Grace is more powerful. Grace is larger. Grace is broader. Grace is higher. The grace of God is bigger than the ugliest of sin. And that's incredible news. The third point is, though we can clearly say, yes, there's going to be massive judgment. And then we can warn, we can warn Satanists and New World Order elitists and others of the coming great white throne judgment. And many times I tell those who are demonized, those kind of satanic priests and priestesses who have uh, acquired demons and they know they got demons in their life. And I'll, I will say to them, ask your demons about Jesus. They know who He is. And they know one other thing for sure, just like in Scripture. They know that judgment's coming, which means clearly that uh, the great white throne is coming. And so I tell them that, and uh, that they will be judged and they, they will end up in, the, in you know, uh, eternal destruction as 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 says. So you could take and preach 1 Thessalonians chapter, I'm sorry, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 in the, how the Lord Jesus is coming to give us relief from those who have troubled us. By what? By, I mean, He's, he's coming with judgment then. And uh, He's coming to, uh, um, and judgment begins at the house of God, we're told in Peter, concerning us as the judgment seat of Christ. But uh, what about the outcome of the unbeliever? What about those who reject? What about those who spit on the cross, mock Christ, and insult the Spirit of grace? Well, I still read in James 5. Read out in James 5, where God says that mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy is bigger 
broader, more powerful than uh, judgment. Uh, God would rather show mercy. Mercy unleashes the incredible work of God. God. God is operating on the basis of mercy. Mercy to all of them. I mean, it's undeserved for all of us. But the biblical, the biblical reality is, is, that, is that mercy uh, triumphs. Triumphs. Literally dances over judgment. God spoke it in the prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament. What did he say? What did he say? He said he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn. That's pretty powerful. So that's how we begin. And so when you're out there witnessing and sharing and with all the information God is giving you, and obviously we care, and as you're committed to the Great Commission, and Jesus uh, told us uh, in, Ma- in Mark's Gospel, the 16th chapter, just simply preach the good news to every creature. The good news. I always begin with good news. I don't go off starting off with, with uh, you know, you're damned, you're condemned, you're going to hell uh, news. That's included in the entire message. But overwhelmingly, love is greater, grace is bigger, and mercy is preferred by God over judgment. He would rather show mercy than to judge. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Matter of fact, God's will, determined counsel, from the Greek word bulamai, in the book of Second uh, Peter 3, when it tells us very clearly there that God is not willing in His determined counsel, it, He's not willing that anybody perish, not one human being, but that all would come to repentance. Now, it's clear biblically, too, that not everybody will. People will choose. People will perish. People will be shut out uh, from the majesty of God. And people will, will, will literally go off into eternal destruction. Well, that's what we say in the beginning. Love is greater. Grace is bigger. God's mercy is preferred. And so we we should be big. We should major on what God majors on and minor on what God minors on. Uh, Judgment's a big issue. But obviously, love is greater. Grace is bigger. And mercy, by God Himself, mercy is preferred. God would rather show that. Well, let's talk a little bit about getting in and getting out. And uh, if you've looked at any of the material during uh, the time we touched on uh, traditional Satanism and a lot of Satanism, and we're going to find out that many individuals getting in. Well, let's go over the six reasons, okay? Let's go over six things, page uh, that you have on your notes. And I'm combining right here session 20 with 19. So they're, they're, they're together on this page. Session 20, getting in and getting out. First question, why would anybody want to get in? And again, when you read the stories of Sean Sellers and uh, a lot of others, many times it's out of their anger and bitterness that they seek dark powers. And for young girls, many times, it's looking for some kind of control, some kind of, you know, for goddess worship, Wicca, um, getting involved in that sense. And uh, not, that, not that girls, I mean, girls get involved in Satanism left and right and become priestesses. If you look at the Madame Morris case where the college student was killed from the United States and many others, by the way, in Madame Morris where many bodies were buried and one of the, uh, and it might have been the Abakwa cult, uh, kind of a uh, 
you know, Haitian or Spanish-oriented uh, Satanism. They used powers to ward off cops. They used spells. They did rituals. They killed American college student and eventually, after all the torture and killing, uh, boiled him. And one of the members of that cult was wearing his human spine around his neck as protection, uh, as, a, as, a, as a relic of power. Uh, incredible. Tom Wedge brought pictures uh, for the Matamoros case to us when we were at Def Tech, learning advanced cult field crime. And it was incredible to see that and Jeffrey Dahmer's uh, murders uh, uh, and cannibalism of human beings. Jeffrey Dahmer was also into deep Satanism. He had a uh, altar built out of uh, human thigh bones and a power cone built out of human skulls. Now, the media didn't show you that, and the media didn't show you what occurred in Matamoros, Texas. But there are books on it, and on the inside of law enforcement, uh, we had um, uh, just providentially been given the, the, the actual you know, materials that were used in the court and pictures and saw uh, absolutely horrific things. Why did they get in? Some of them are raised in it. Uh, some of them are just simply raised in it. The other side of the story is recruiting. And we'll talk about that in a little bit, but I'm going to tell you again, young individuals get into it. Many times there's curiosity, and that's probably where I was, curiosity, but more and more because of anger and wanting power and wanting you know, to have something over people. So when kids get a hold of the Satanic Bible, in the local library here where I am at in Akron, uh, they have to keep the Satanic Bible and other literature like that behind the desk and not just have it on the shelves. Because why? It's always stolen. And young people are stealing it left and right. And so they have to go up to the desk, have it signed out by their name and sit there and read it. And uh, so they won't steal it. Well, what's in the Satanic Bible itself? Well, there's, there's, there's sex rituals and destruction rituals and, quote, maybe uh, sympathetic or symbolic uh, death ritual stuff. But you can go on far beyond that today. Even at borders, you can buy materials, let alone online, as we've already talked about, getting into death, um, death rituals and so forth. And it's all about, again, conjuring powers, getting favors, and, uh, you know, having a supernatural... Um, advantage and a lot of it deals with revenge when there's anger to send it uh, i think i've already shared the story of a family calling me that a young man was uh, constantly calling and, and they let me listen to on the uh on their telephone recorder uh he was doing these enochian chants and uh and none of us really understood but it came down to where he was doing just literally death uh in his in his in his view anyway death that curses against them and he was angry at the family and the, the girl that had gotten pregnant by him. And we went to the kid's house to show up and to talk to him. And after we began to share Christ, he slammed the door in our face. And that was the end of the discussion. But it wasn't the end of our prayers to negate whatever powers he may have raised and sit against the family. So why do they get in? Uh, curiosity. Others get in. Um, sometimes uh, at parties. Look at, again, some of the satanic music. Look at the books and materials, the literature that's out there. Constantly at borders. I used to take and, and, and train in some of our shattered training for evangelism. One of the places I took people was to borders to be kind of a quiet, spirit-led soul winner, evangelist. 
to where if you're over by, and some of our guys, we tell them, oh, go over there and stand by the religion section where all the books on Wicca and metaphysics and even Satanism and go over that area because you're going to find kids showing up, other people showing up, picking up books and start a conversation. See where it goes. And uh, that was a, a tremendous place to uh, just be ready for a divine appointment dealing with somebody that might be being led. Now, the second thing is, how does satanic synchronicity work? Just as on God's side, there's a providence where the Spirit of God is seeking you and looking for you and arranging things to get you to hear the gospel and uh, to get you saved. God may send people to you. God may have people drop off materials and books. Uh, the day that I was at that restaurant was clearly set up by God that I might witness to Gene Simmons from the rock group Kiss. God set that up and arranged that. And God clearly impacted him. I felt the Spirit of God that day. And I think that he, was, he knew that he was encountered by, by something genuine. And the message and the love and, uh, and the concern for his life. Now whether he gets saved, again, that's blood on his head. But satanic synchronicity means, for example, Sean Sellers, you know, when he's young, uh, it was a babysitter that maybe, maybe gave him a few books into Wicca or some kind of spell books. Synchronicity means where the demons themselves operate to lead people, you know, into darker things. When some people get into certain drugs, the demons can lead them further. Get certain books. The synchronicity of the demons counterfeits the work of the Holy Spirit. And so there is a demonic strategy to recruit, a demonic strategy to uh, proselytize. Satan is out to get a hold of people. Remember the parable we talked about before? The parable of the sower. You know, there's the field, the Son of Man comes, sows the Word of God, the wheat begin to grow up. Then during the night, the evil one comes, and guess what occurs? The evil one comes, and he sows a counterfeit word and raises up spiritually transmuted tares. Jesus was very clear about the active work of Satan in proselytizing, recruiting, and building his own uh, people. So we got to realize that you know evangelism is we you know if you know Squeaky from the one that shot President Ford, who was involved with Charles Manson, in an evangelistic book, a good book by the way, called "Take Him to the Streets," written by Jonathan Gainsbourg years ago. The story came out that um, she said. People ask her, why, as a young girl, did she end up going with, uh, with Charles Manson and end up in those murders, those bloody murders, and into that really, I think, really some satanic underground stuff? Uh, her response was that a hungry, beaten dog will go to anybody who has food. And she was just one of those kids out on the street uh, basically saying she was a hungry and beaten and weak dog that was drawn in. Look at all the cults that have leaders that draw people in. They have a satanic power. Cult leaders, one of the characteristics in most of the books, a cult leader, uh, that usually have a cult, there is a, a denial of the deity of Jesus, a misuse of scripture, um, abandoning society and family and all that, taking them off, totalism. And uh, also that there's a charismatic 
or spiritually um, mesmerizing leader. And that's where satanic synchronicity may work too. Now, that can all be shown in 1 Timothy chapter 4, where the Holy Spirit says, clearly in the latter days, there'll be people that will leave the faith. They'll leave Christendom. They'll, they'll walk away from the faith of Christianity. They'll reject it. Why and how? Well, look what it says. Um, because of the presence of seducing spirits, giving doctrines of demons, and operating through hypocritical liars. Look at all the cult leaders, how hypocritical, how most of them used people sexually, used their money. They were hypocrites. Uh, Jim Jones was a blatant hypocrite. Maharishi Yogi up there, where he uh, founded his uh, group and had all the people sell everything and give all their money. He had, he had Rolls Royces and had money. and sa- He was a hypocrite. He was a cult leader. And you'll find a lot of them like that, just like the Holy Spirit said 2,000 you know, years ago in our warning today, that uh, many people will be led astray by this synchronicity. And what is the evidence of the leading of the Spirit? The Spirit of God leads us to Jesus and leads us to the Word of God. Dark spirits, no matter how they transform themselves, even as angel of light, will always lead people away from the real Christ, the real uh, revelation of biblical scripture, and move them to an alternative. Demons will always move them to a different supernatural alternative. It's very clear. And that's the work of satanic synchronicity. And we see that in the story that an evil one comes along to build. He's actively at work. Second Thessalonians 2. If we haven't gotten this yet, the secret power of lawlessness is, look what God says, is already at work. And we got to understand that. When we go to sleep at night and uh, when we're doing other things and when we're doing a lot of recreation, that kingdom is operating to recruit and proselytize and bring more young people. And that's why in the 90s, uh, even in the book Crime Warps, along with other materials, uh, they declared that Satanism among white middle-class young people was the fastest-growing subgroup. In the years that we've seen, the last eight years, the fastest-growing subgroup really has been white middle-class girls into Wicca. So we see... Once again, the ramping up. Now listen, Christian, if you understand this, the ramping up, it's not going away. It's going to become, it's going to become uh, more ferocious, more in our face. Uh, we're going to see more demonic manifestation. And we're going to see more hardcore Satanists who think they're very powerful, you know, show up at churches and challenge Christians and do powers and uh, try their stuff out. That's why you hear of churches uh, being desecrated. Some Satanic groups... Uh, part of the way to get in is that you have to desecrate a church. That's one of the things you have to do. Take the blood of animals, whatever, go inside, put it on the walls, whatever. That's occurred here. $40,000 damage in Akron to a Presbyterian church. Satanic symbols and whatever else. So there's also number three, recruiting work that goes on. Tom Wedge has a chapter in his book, The Satan Hunter, on this. And we've dealt with recruiters and one of the recruiters, one of their ways was um, faking being a Christian at a local church here in Akron. 
And while they're there, you know, getting to be friends with the young people and eventually inviting the young people over. And this girl would, um, you know, she confessed it that she would uh, begin to offer sexuality, have them listen to other music, maybe talk them into smoking up some marijuana and getting them, in a sense, to backslide slowly behind the scenes. And then little by little by little to recruit them um, into Satanism. Uh, to begin to do other things. A young boy named Billy was brought to me uh, as I was director of Youth for Christ uh, in Akron years ago. And the parent that brought him said that uh, friends of his took him to a meeting where an adult, uh, they were having uh, heavy-duty metal metal music, uh, probably again in the satanic version. They were given free drugs and alcohol and some sex stuff along with everything. And this young kid was... In the midst of this, uh, the adult person came over and finally made a cut on his, in his palm and rubbed his blood in a book. And later, some of the kids that were in the, you know, that recruited him over there, and again, it was the adult recruiting kids to recruit other kids. And uh, they were given some kind of little scroll written in uh, calligraphy, some kind of calligraphy about having, telling him that he needs now to show up at the meeting because he's been recruited, and now, and if he tells anybody, they'll kill him and his family. And we had to deal with that. We had to go after that. So a lot of recruiting does go on. And they listen, I'm telling you, they come right to churches. They go right to young people. One of the, one of the ways they get points is to recruit weak, young Christians or peripheral Christians. And um, eventually getting them in to do what? To go through ceremonies where they renounce Christ, renounce God, tear up a Bible, put blood on it, burn it, desecrate it, do whatever, you know, some of those, uh, you know, you could see those kind of uh, very hardcore rituals in what's called the Devil's Bible, written by Father Maradon from the Cathedral of the Black Goat in in, uh, California. And I've got that. I've read all their ritual stuff. I've seen you know that, and I've seen others do it. We've had confiscated material given to us. Well, people who came out, robes and swords and athames and you know ritual materials and book of shadows, all that stuff. So we've looked at all that. Um, the other side of it is the will that's opened up to satanic presence and uh, getting into things. You know, maybe a light level stuff at first, and then again the idea even in secret societies whether that's a Theosophical Society, the Odu Templi Orientis, the Masons, others, step by step by step by step by step, uh, they lead you from lighter level counterfeit spirituality to darker, a more in your face. Uh, you're not going to be recruited directly into a human sacrifice. You'll be recruited to come to little magic things first, and they'll observe you. And then you'll be recruited to come to other things until eventually you're recruited in doing things. Um, and in their view, it's like Hotel California. You can't get out. As a matter of fact, when you do the actual ritual ceremonies to renounce Christ and declare you never go back, you're warned that if you ever turn your back on Satan, you're a dead duck. At least that's what they tell you. So the will opening up to satanic presence will bring satanic presence. If a person goes through some kind of base or strong rituals that call in the names of demons, well, the demons will come. We also read in Timothy about how Hermeneus and Alexander were to be taught not to blaspheme because Satan had taken them, listen, captive to do his will. Captive to do his will. And that's what's happening. Satan takes individuals. You say, well, there's the will of God. Well, yes, there is. There's also the will of Satan. You can read about it in Timothy. 
As you read about it in Timothy, you're going to read where Hermeneus and Alexander were taken captive to do Satan's will. And he will operate in their lives the way God operates in our lives to will and to act according to his good pleasure. Satan will operate uh, in those who, well, who open up their lives to the demons and have, again, spirit. We have the Spirit of God guiding, leading directly. And we were made for the Spirit of God. Human beings were not made for demonic presence. We were not made for demonic presence. Uh, fallen angels were not uh, designed to possess human beings. So I mentioned also then the ceremonies and the rituals. And there's oaths. You can, there's, there's, there's all kinds. You can sign an agreement with Satan, a pact with Satan. So a lot of times in leading some Satanists out, they may have said, well, I signed a pact, or they made me sign this, or I wrote this in my own blood, or I made a commitment, and I, and I acknowledge that Satan had the right to kill me if I got out. On and on and on and on and on and on. So a lot of, you know, maybe even, I mean, if you've gotten into a real level, I'm talking about Satanism, this is not the exact same thing as um, Wicca, Druids, Paganism, and the New Age, which all may have demonic attachment, if not eventual possession also. In that, in the evangelization, realize that 2 Corinthians 4, 4 already says you know, that the God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see, to see who Jesus is. So there's already a supernatural power operating and fighting, but the Word of God is stronger, the Spirit of God is stronger, no question about that. All individuals have to do is you know, hear, the, um, hear the message. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. Romans 10. Uh, there is the word of God is living and active. It's gonna, it's gonna, you know, it's like a, it's like a double-edged sword. No demon can stop it. No, no um, spell. Nothing. I mean, this is where we have the powerful gospel that can penetrate darkness, penetrate the demonic. And when there is demonic possession in lives, when we go to share Christ, guess what? The proof's gonna be in the pudding. Manifestation will usually occur if they're possessed. And we go to present the gospel in the power of God, a confrontation, a power encounter is most likely to occur. And a demon may manifest saying, no, you can't have, we had that happen so many times, you can't have him, he's ours, you know. And we have to say, we're, we're taking authority over your legalities and we're commanding you to say how you got in there and how many are there. And again, be guided by the Spirit of God. But ultimately, you have to command them by the authority that Christ gave you, Luke 10, to get them out so that they can turn to Jesus. And I've watched in almost every case where we've had deliverance, people turn to Jesus and want His love, want forgiveness, want washed and cleansed, and want the power of God. And the blood of Jesus is bigger than all their filth. The blood of Jesus is bigger than all of what they've done. As we've already said, the love of God is greater, the grace is bigger, and mercy is preferred. Well, um, when they're trying to get out, the power of Jesus, the cross and the blood, will, again, is, is so incredible. But again, without hearing, without being confronted, with nobody going, uh, it's kind of like the demonic powers over them are uncontested. Uh, it is God's will to save, obviously, and to what else? Heal and deliver. Deliver from demons. That's what uh, Luke chapter 10 was all about. 
was Jesus training 70 believers or 72 believers going out by twos to um, basically preach the kingdom about salvation ultimately and heal sick people and cast out any demons. And that's how every Christian should be trained today. Now, can they get saved? Getting saved, born again, while well, the proof's in the pudding. If they, listen, the same, the, the same condition, if they repent and believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we've had individuals that said, finally, yes, I want to I receive Christ as Savior and Lord. And the moment they begin to pray, the demonic presence would manifest and throw them to the ground. And we would have to pray that off of them so that they can then call out and uh, accept Christ and receive Him. And it's an incredible uh, spiritual battle, but it's also an incredible demonstration of the infinite, infinite superior power, love, grace, mercy, and work of God over the demonic realm. Let me say again why a lot of uh, Satanists and those uh, victims of Satanism feel that there's so much power in Satanism. Because they've never been confronted with the real power of God. They may, in part of their recruiting, uh, and part of their challenges sometimes is to be an infiltrator in a church. And usually churches that are very cold, weak, and spiritually dead are those that they want to go into. Um, so as not to have confrontation spiritually. A power encounter in the Old Testament and in the book of Acts or when Jesus was here himself, it's very clear. In the power encounters, God wins uh, demonstratively. I mean, powerfully. Remember uh, the Jewish sorcerer in the book of Acts? Paul, filled with the Spirit, finally you know, had to put his hand up, you know, say, you know, always trying to pervert the right ways of the Lord. He's a wicked man. He's a sorcerer, a Jewish sorcerer. Really, uh, kind of a, it would be considered a, a real kind of Satanist into dark magic and powers as a sorcerer. And when he tried to oppose, the hand of God came and blinded him. A mist came. Uh, there's where, again, the, the physicality of the power of God. And he went blind in front of everybody there. An incredible power encounter that demonstrated the superiority, the superior power of God over dark powers. Now, that was true also with Philip when he went into Samaria, where Simon the uh, sorcerer was there doing his powers, um, claiming he was the great power, the elitist, and he had all the high and low people following, and they were amazed at the supernatural power until somebody carrying the living Christ, the power of God, doing the mission, literally advancing the kingdom, the basileia, which is not a matter of talk, but of power, love, and joy in the Holy Spirit, until Philip showed up. I mean, read Acts chapter 8 again. Look at the power of God unleashed. Look what happens. So it's not until a superior power. Many times, Satanists and victims of Satanism did not want to turn to God until the encounter spiritually occurred where you know, the power of God, the authority of Christ, uh, some really high-powered Satanists were amazed that their power demons had to submit when we commanded them to bow in the presence of Christ, to confess who is the Lord of heaven and earth, and ultimately, under the command of uh, the authority that we've been given, to command them to get out of the person's life, and they had to leave. Uh, the person was amazed that there was clearly a greater power than their most powerful demons. And then they wanted to turn to Jesus. We only had one case where the person did not want to turn afterwards, they were so angry, they wanted to go back out and get their power demons. 
And they may have. And uh, they may be far worse off uh, than ever in their life at this point. The need for renunciation, when a person gets saved, truly comes to Christ, receives Jesus as Lord and Savior, any kind of Satanist. And I would say anybody that's into some kind of, where they actually have spiritual powers, or they, you know, they've been a remote viewer, they've been a, a, a channeler, they've been a, you know, involved in whatever powers that have been brought into the life. And many times that will manifest. I mean, if a demon is all the way in, it doesn't want to give room. It doesn't want the person to confess Christ to choose. And uh, so there may be a need to pray against any and all dark powers over a person's life so, and for the power of God, for the Holy Spirit to open them up to, um, to the gospel. And the Word of God will do that too. And demons sometimes will crop up and try to, uh, try to um, twist Scripture or whatever because they know the Word of God. And when the Word of God is quoted, they know it's the Word. It's like, it's like a hammer that hits them spiritually. They know the power of it, the authority of it. Well, I would, um, I would lead Satanists in their salvation right then and there to renounce any blood oaths and, and written blood packs and ceremonies, to renounce Satan, to renounce demons, to renounce any kind of coven name, to renounce everything that needs to be renounced. And sometimes I lead them and I say, what else does God want you to renounce? You know, to throw out, to rid yourself in coming to Christ and making room for the Spirit of God to come into your life and being filled with the Holy Spirit, delivered completely, saved with the Spirit of the Lord coming in. Um, what does the Lord want you to renounce and, get, and then get rid of? <laughs> I remember one family brought a daughter to church that uh, didn't come forward. They wanted her to come forward during the invitation and then somebody got me afterwards. So I went up to her and I said, did you want to come forward? She shook her head, yes. And I discerned it just immediately. I said, did the spirits inside you not want you to go? And she shook her head, yes. So I said, well, I'm going to pray for you. And as I started to pray, the demons shook her and threw her to the ground in between the pews. Uh, and she hit her head, too, going down. And the demons uh, literally manifested. Of course, a number of us, you know, we took authority over that and uh, came against. And uh, it took a few moments to pray out because she opened. She did some actual uh, bonding rituals, blood rituals, some other things to let the demons come in. And after it was all done and she was cleared, you could see it different on her face and her eyes and everything when the demonic presence is gone. Well, we went to her house that afternoon and literally came up with three garbage bags. Garbage bags. You know, the big ones. 33-gallon garbage bags of literature, uh, symbols, all kinds of things that were occult, Wiccan, Satanist, uh, any kind of thing that she had. Her whole basement room was packed. Clothing, um, everything you can think of. Three garbage bags that we ended up taking out. And we made a bonfire out of all of it. As she renounced and got rid of. So they may need to get rid of some stuff. They may need to go through deliverance even afterwards and clearly be filled with the Spirit of God filled, you know, get them, you know, immediately in the Word of God, clearly pray over them, and uh, to where they really are just clear of all of the old uh, stuff. And the demons may even come that night or the next night. We've had people come back two days later and say, uh, man, I had a dream where they were calling me back, or uh, I heard this voice come, like, like coming by my head, kind of like a drive-by. I call it a drive-by shooting, uh, they, you know, to kind of like say, you belong to us. And so we teach them that, uh, to, to appropriate the authority of Christ 
and to rebuke the demon themselves, to say no and take your stand and show them um, Matthew 4, how Jesus stood against the devil and how to just, you know, call on Jesus to deliver them. And it's very important to help them do this because a lot of folks, even like myself, coming to Christ afterwards, I had a number of occasions where it seemed like the demonic came after me in that first month, uh, angered at me. And uh, I, all I knew at the time, for me, nobody taught me, I, all I knew was just to call on Jesus, protect me, and proclaim Jesus, and, and pray. And God delivered, and God did mighty things, but I, I would have... Uh, it's, I, I'm, I think, again, we must realize that we can teach Christians how to pray, how to use the authority of Christ, what spiritual warfare is about in the early stages. Why let them go through battles without armor, uh, especially if they're coming out of stuff? Now, you, you know, join the battle in the sense that you invite them then to you know, begin to take training that they might grow. They're used to delving into reading books and materials and get training in the satanic underground. So why not, um, why not begin to get them in training and get them reading materials and studying the Word of God and doing discipleship materials right away? Now, the other thing you have to need to watch out for is, number seven, to watch out and deal with any kind of crime issues. In other words, there are coven groups that will get mad. You lead people out of Satanism, there may be others that are still in that may uh, give them a death threat or call them and threaten them or leave dead animals on their porch uh, or write symbols on their car, maybe even on yours. And so there would be sometimes some of that going on. And again, you have to respond uh, look at Nehemiah chapter 4. When threats came, watch how they responded. They responded quickly, uh, forcefully, powerfully in the Lord. Uh, they did not cower in fear. And instead, they were, you know, they were as bold as a lion. The Bible says the righteous, righteous are as bold as a lion, the wicked flee. So that's how it needs to be. By the way, leading one Satanist to Christ and having others begin to throw their curses and spells and warnings and whatever, guess what? That brings them out on the playing field to where now you know who to pray and what to pray against as far as dark powers and for God to begin to invade them and you target them in their ritual sites and their places and maybe you'll lead another few people out of a coven group. And uh, obviously the person coming out will know the names of some of the people and... Uh, and that's part of the evidence of people really coming out is really turning on evil. The evidence of the spirit of adoption within and them turning against evil. Can they get out? Absolutely. Do we need to pray and fight in prayer with a, again, superior power? 1 John chapter 4, greater is the one who lives in you than the one, Satan and his demons, than the one in the world. So it's very clear that you are the temple of the Spirit of God, the power of God, the authority of the Lord, and the living Christ as He showed up with Saul of Tarshish. See, I'm, I'm the kind of believer that believes that Jesus can do the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe that if Jesus could uh, intervene and bring Saul to his knees right there in that kind of an experience, I believe that He can do that even nowadays. So we pray that God, like King Abimelech in the Old Testament, where God invaded him with a dream, a dream, to get him not to take Abraham's wife. And I gave him a warning. I believe that as we pray for hardcore people into supernatural you know, uh, places in their life, especially hardcore, wicked ones, that we can say, God, stretch out your hand. 
like Acts chapter 4, to save and heal and deliver, to show even signs and wonders, visit them with a dream, impact them, Lord, visit them. I've prayed that many times, that God would visit, uh, like Saul of Tarshish. Some of the elitists, if you find out who some of them are, pray boldly that God will come against their demons. I mean boldly reject all their demons and pray boldly that uh, God will invade their space and, uh, and uh, maybe demonstrate His power that they might clearly see the difference and repent and turn to Jesus Christ. To the glory of God, look at Saul of Tarshish, look at Acts chapter 8, look at Acts chapter 4. Again, stay in the book of Acts. Again, unless there's clear-cut blasphemy against the Holy Spirit Himself, which mostly we have to leave up to the Lord, and the evidence is usually individuals are so hardcore they don't even show an ounce of remorse, nor do they want even, they don't care. They don't care. They've sealed themselves. The other side of the story is, Unless God tells me strongly, like Moses, stop praying uh, for that for them or whatever, then uh, I'm going to pray. I'm going to believe that God's love is uh, absolutely greater than anything they've had experienced, and uh, will, will propel me. That uh, the grace of God is vastly bigger than their ugly sins, all the evil that they've done, that they've reveled in, and that the mercy of God is preferred over judgment. And uh, so we continue. Now for those who reject, they reject. It's on their heads. But for those that you're fighting for, and we need to do that, uh, don't give up. Believe the Lord. Uh, sometimes the harder and more wicked they are, uh, the, and taller they are in the wickedness, uh, the, the quicker they fall in the right way, uh, under grace, under the power of God, and, uh, and repent, and they turn to Jesus Christ. So we look at the Word of God in Timothy again in prayer for all people, all people. Why? What does it say? This is good and pleases God our Savior who wills pas anthropos, all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. We read in 2 Peter 3, the reason Jesus hasn't returned yet is what? That God is patient the main reason that he has not returned yet is that um, for the sake of the salvation of souls. The end of history has not occurred yet because Jesus, uh, because of his patience. Paul explains it in Timothy when he talks about himself being the chief of sinners that God might display in him an unlimited patience for the sake of those who would later believe in history. Unlimited patience. God is willing to save. God does not want to see anybody perish, no matter who they are, what wicked. His, the blood of Jesus is greater than all their sacrificial bloods. And we need to proclaim it, preach it, trust in the power of God. And whosoever repents and believes can be powerfully, wonderfully, eternally saved in Christ. Well, blessings to you. May God give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know Jesus better. Ephesians 1. May He guide you spiritually, Acts 9.22, to grow more and more powerful in the Spirit. And may He lead you to become an incredible worshiper, an incredible witness in your life, a powerful soul winner, fruitful soul winner, and uh, really a strong and fruitful prayer warrior. The Lord's blessing to you. 
This is Russ Dizdar, ShadowTheDarkness.net.